Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Two invisible elements have evidently shaped life in the Middle East and indeed globally over this year, which is approaching its end. One is, of course, the coronavirus, in a pandemic which only now begins to show some promise of being contained by a presumed vaccine next year. There is more than meets the eye, of course, in Cyber 2, a new form of warfare to which societies blessed with the most advanced technological and economic infrastructure are more vulnerable than relatively primitive ones. What is being and can be done offensively and defensively in the realm of cyber between governments, organizations, and even self-motivated hackers? To further discuss this topic and put it all in perspective, we're joined by, uh, from central Israel by Mr. Uh, Daniel Cohen, who is a cybersecurity and policy expert and a research fellow at, at the ICT in Herzliya, as well as a research uh, senior researcher at uh, Cyber Security Research Center, Tel Aviv University. Welcome. Thanks. Also joining us from elsewhere in central Israel is Mr. Eli Kravtsov, who is a cybersecurity expert and a cloud security and research and development team leader at Cisco. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, and also uh, with me in the panel is uh, uh, sitting in currently for our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren, uh, is uh, Dr. Neil Bohms. Uh, Neil, give us a broader understanding on uh, to what degree is cyber impacting uh, everything in the region? And uh, are we secure within modern societies where we're so dependent these days on modern infrastructure? Well, in 2012, a mysterious virus seems to have not come from China this time, seems to have influenced uh, the Iranian nuclear program. A number of centrifuges uh, have been effected, uh, and this has been uh, one of the significant markers of uh, what was later called the cyber warfare in the Middle East, particularly when it comes to the Israel and the Iranian uh, nuclear program. Uh, it seems that uh, according to some reports uh, in the last uh, year, about eight different cyber uh, attacks of various uh, uh, types have occurred uh, in both places, including um, some recent ones in Israel uh, itself. And if you zoom out uh, from that, when we're looking at uh, the discourse uh, in the 21st century, following a, a very loaded uh, election uh, campaign in the United States where the issue of fake news also became part and parcel of it. And when we hear uh, about uh, different elements, uh, bots and um, servers involved in creating and manufacturing news, we realize that we're not only dependent uh, on uh, uh, different devices uh, that brings us information. Uh, we are also uh, very much surrounded uh, by uh, different cyber uh, efforts that all have agendas. These agendas may be uh, try to use them for a, a disruptive purpose uh, to uh, uh, stop a, a port, as it happened in May, for example, in Bandar Abbas in uh, Iran, or stop a water uh, supply for a city, as almost had happened here. But it also has to do with uh, controlling some degrees of the messages uh, and the uh, political campaign and intervention. And all of those 
dimensions are part uh, of the new uh, reality that surround us uh, in the uh, cyber arena. And I would also say that uh, just in looking at the Middle East and some numbers that were uh, released uh, earlier this year, the industry on cybersecurity is growing significantly over 30 uh, billion dollars. And COVID, uh, apparently, the, the COVID period have done fairly well for the industry. It seems that there is a realization that now we are even more dependent when we're all working uh, remotely and online. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Cohen, I'd like to refer the next question to you. Uh, time and again, we hear about uh, various attacks, uh, be they from Iran or from North Korea lately, and, and uh, different countries around the region are competing not only for harming or, or conducting malicious activities toward uh, vital infrastructure, but also disrupting way of life. And beyond that, also uh, trying to alter public opinion. Uh, one of the points made by Dr. Bombs was indeed the U.S. election. Uh, the uh, National Intelligence uh, Directorate uh, uh, released several statements about uh, malicious uh, uh, attacks by Iran, also uh, uh, Russia, being targeting uh, various uh, elements within the United States. But that is something that uh, Israel is not also uh, uh, kept out of the dark, uh, especially that we can see it more and more uh, happening between the, uh, the, the state of Israel and the Islamic Republic of Iran. To what degree is this uh, a regular occurrence? Thanks. Um, I will start by saying that we see a cycle of escalation. States are building capacities, building their cyber capabilities, some offensive, some defensive. Some of those uh, capabilities are being stolen uh, and being, being used by others. This is what we saw in 2017 with NotPetya, WannaCry and others. Some of the capabilities, as you mentioned, uh, are being used for what is called cyber-enabled influence operations, using cyber for uh, disrupting, deterring, but also influencing public opinion. One uh, a good example from the Middle East is from 2017, when there was a hack-and-leak attack against the Qatari news agency that eventually ended by Qatar leaving the GCC. Why? There was a hacking not a sophisticated one, a defacement against a news agency uh, Twitter page, uh, dumping their uh, document, false or true, depends who you ask on in what day. But afterwards, uh, taking this document and before that the Qataris were able to uh, take it off the internet, it was being shared by uh, 12 farms, by bots all around the world. So you can't take it back from that point. So this was a combination between what's ended with the disinformation of fake news, but started in a cyber warfare attack. Uh, today we see more and more this kind of attack. Uh, you mentioned the Russia as maybe the leading actor in this field. We see the Iranians uh, building this learning uh, capabilities and started to use cyber not only for, as we saw in April in Israel, attack against the critical infrastructure, but also attacks that are aiming for the more cognitive space and not necessarily the cyberspace or critical infrastructure. And Israel as an actor, um, for now, we see Israel uh, using high cards with high stakes and uh, deterring the other side by, uh, according to at least for foreign media, attacks against uh, Iranian critical infrastructure, 
to show to the other side that it will cost them if they will attack us. During elections times in Israel, we saw less this kind of activity, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. Maybe it's covered. Maybe we are not seeing it yet. Uh, and maybe we will see it in the near future, uh, in the upcoming or next election or next uh, political change that can be uh, used again as it was in the, the states in the election. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Kovtsov, I'd like to ask you, as somebody who originally came from the traditional cybersecurity uh, field and, and entered into the uh, cybersecurity of the cloud uh, for uh, us who don't understand too much about those two uh, realities, uh, in layman's terms, if you will, to what degree are we secure today uh, and is there a capacity for governments to really protect the citizens? We saw the Iranians attack uh, vital infrastructure and the water industry, uh, uh, various municipalities, even private businesses were attacked. Uh, we know one of our friends was attacked uh, uh, and his uh, business website uh, came crashing uh, uh, during an Iranian attack. Uh, tell us more what is being done uh, and simplify it for us who don't understand cybersecurity. Yeah, sure. So, um, as you said correctly, I uh, originally uh, came from the more uh, traditional security aspects. So when you build a, a firewall and then you put it uh, just as a gateway or uh, at your organization and then it filters all the traffic as uh, most of attacks uh, occur uh, over network. So, uh, with the OT, uh, operational technology, which is a uh, power plants and uh, energy and water infrastructure uh, you don't uh, simply have one facility that you can place a firewall there and uh, because <clears throat> they're using a proprietary uh, protocols uh, that very related to hardware and not necessary to modern software so they operate uh, uh, very distinctively and it is very hard to place uh, one piece of uh, enforcement uh, in order to protect all these uh, uh, you know valves and pumps and uh, all the the machines that involve in these industries um, so the the new approach is actually mixing IT and OT and uh, bring, uh, bringing the gaps uh, means that uh, uh, for example when an attacker wants to influence uh, uh, water supply so most uh, most definitely they need to uh, conduct some intelligence uh, research to understand exactly what model and what machines uh, do you have and then try to uh, buy it or replicate it on their site so there's a lot of research and intelligence uh, involved in the attack so that usually these kind of attacks they're not uh, planned a week uh, uh, ago they are uh, need to be organized over periods of even years so uh, if we see an increase of attacks, uh, you, you must remember that the severe attacks needed to be planned uh, a year in advance. So um, as, as you close the gap between the, the old technologies, the OT, and the, the new technology, which might also involve a cloud technology to manage all these machines, uh, you will gain better uh, monitoring of your system you will uh, get a unified uh, uh, encryption and, and uh, secure communication layers uh, instead of having to deal with uh, each component and its security problems uh, uh, separately.
Indeed. Dr. Bombs, uh, in many cases, when uh, it is a, a cyber war between countries, of course, the intelligence community is very much involved on both ends. Uh, uh, when uh, there is a, a, a planting of some kind of uh, malicious software into an Iranian nuclear facility, obviously there are operators or agents on the ground that uh, ultimately come to that network and implement that uh, uh, directly into the network using malicious software that was premeditated, created, and of course there are different ways because most of those softwares are off the grid uh, in, in uh, most cases at least. Uh, but when we're talking about uh, the infrastructure here in Israel, much of the civilian infrastructure is uh, targeted by uh, the, the Iranians by uh, the, the various uh, uh, countries that are interested in, in harming Israel or at least uh, retaliating uh, in a way that uh, would uh, that they would deem fit as a, a retaliation for Israeli attacks that are much stronger. Uh, how do you see the whole uh, intertwined connection between the intelligence communities working with uh, military cyber communications and so on and so forth? Well, the intelligence community needs to understand the, the space and it needs to try and predict it. Just like any other intelligence, sometimes you are able to predict uh, some preparations or some attempts to uh, create uh, either a cyber attack or a cyber campaign. And then you need to dispatch the tools that you have in your disposals to uh, deal with it. Of course, when you speak about a military-grade uh, uh, operation, it needs to be protected and secured. Uh, and I think... Uh, our colleagues here can speak a little bit more about how do you do that. But when you speak about a municipality or an NGO, and, and we've had an, an event here just a few months ago, Operation Quicksands, where uh, the Iranians were uh, looking for uh, easier targets and they were able to find them because not every uh, small uh, organizations or a local uh, municipality is able to uh, really defend itself. Of course, this is not meant to uh, really uh, yield intelligence or to uh, uh, really uh, uh, bring information or disrupt any crucial activity, but it's just mostly a, a public uh, relations campaign basically saying, look, we have these capabilities, we are here. Uh, Broadly speaking, uh, there is a, a very developed uh, you know, operation here uh, that uh, attempts and succeeds mostly to uh, uh, identify these attacks and, and prevent uh, many of them and fix uh, the breaches. Uh, the colleagues do, that work uh, at the relevant government uh, unit uh, can actually tell you and count how many attacks have been, uh, virtual attacks and cyber attacks have been launched uh, on a daily basis. And we speak about very significant uh, numbers. So this has became a daily occurrence. And for the most part, uh, people are able to live uh, uh, you know, around this, often not even noticing and, until somebody is able to penetrate a website or put something that is more noticeable, and then it gets into the media. But I want to uh, re remind everyone that we live uh, in, uh, an influence, in a world that is very much influenced by, still by cyber attacks. And this other dimension, which is not necessarily military, but campaigns all the way to influencing elections, is a part and parcel of the same idea, influencing the messages, influencing what we read uh, in the media, and sometimes what we see on our screen. It's part and partial uh, of, uh, of this uh, domain, and therefore all of us are exposed to it. That's why it's important to uh, really take the idea of, of consuming news and consuming information very seriously and, and uh, with some caution of understanding what is the source that's bringing us to us. Mr. Cohen, 
Well, uh, the the biggest concerns for a state, of course, are uh, uh, countries that seek to uh, to disrupt the way of life of other countries. Uh, we saw during this uh, period of Corona, where people are confined to their own homes and uh, are a lot more, uh, according to various statistics, uh, tuned into their technologies. Uh, we see a lot more attempts by various uh, uh, malign actors trying to uh, conduct fraud, to conduct uh, phishing uh, is one of those terms that uh, they're speaking about. To what degree is this really a concern? And uh, uh, is this really going to uh, be resolved by authorities? Or is it more about uh, public uh, uh, teaching to uh, uh, comprehend the dangers and what should the public actually not do? Uh, when they receive an email that uh, may try to intrigue them to receive uh, uh, an amount of money without giving anything in return? I would say that it's a combination of the two. Uh, of course, cyber criminals, for example, will take advantage of the corona crisis because of the, what is called FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt of people on those time, uh, economical, a damage to many citizens. So this is exactly the time for them to, to strike because of the understanding that people will be less aware. And of course, people, a lot of people are working from homes. So yes, it's, it's uh, the best time for the hackers to attack. And maybe the best solution for that is uh, create more awareness uh, to civilians by the governments. This is one side of the story here. The other side is the industry and to find uh, more solutions that are more uh, can be integrated uh, to civilians themselves. For, I'll give you one example. We see now more anti-viruses uh, for uh, cellular phones. That, and one of the reasons for that is because we see increased number of uh, attacks by uh, links in SMS and so on, uh, like not the regular phishing on emails, but we see it uh, more on phones, it can be also on WhatsApp, can be also on social media. So this is like the uh, second solution for that. Uh, it will be integrated as the attacker's approach will be integrated. Uh, for a good attack, you need uh, three main components. You need some kind of technical capability, you need operational capability, and you need intelligence gathering. Combined with that, and you have a more sophisticated attack. The higher level will be, of course, critical infrastructure, or it can be attack that is aiming for espionage and so on. Uh, but for now, again, because of the crisis, we see uh, increased number of attacks on uh, the more soft side, the civilian side. Uh, but again, we need to take under consideration that uh, it doesn't mean that they neglected the uh, other kind of attacks, and we will see more criminals also being uh, attacking uh, finance. We saw, for example, increased number of attacks against hospital, again, taking advantage of the corona crisis, not only for stealing uh, the vaccine for corona, but also to uh, use it for ransomware against hospitals that uh, understand that they need to pay now because that they are in a crisis in any way, and uh, some of them are also uh, getting to collapse. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Kovtsov, I'd, I'd like to ask, you spoke about uh, OT and NT, old technology versus uh, new technology. Uh, when we're talking about the traditional uh, uh, cybersecurity, it was always more about uh, firewalls, about protecting uh, 
uh, heavy infrastructure, irons, uh, how they call it. And uh, when we're talking about cloud technology, uh, it is a lot more um, uh, possible to attack cloud technology from different uh, elements. And uh, in most cases, it's more about uh, the uh, the aspect of human errors, of, of uh, the, the uh, people who try to fix something, they leave a door open and they let the the, the attacker who knows where to look at to enter that specific door. Uh, in layman's terms, now when we're talking about uh, a reality in which we see, for instance, the state of Estonia uh, transforming its entire uh, governmental system f from a, uh, a, a more primitive uh, one into a, a cloud and, and uh, entirely integrated system, uh, to what degree should we be concerned and is there ways to really prevent uh, uh, realities in which um, uh, malicious uh, uh, attackers are indeed taking advantage from those uh, uh, new developments and the transition period that we're living in? Uh, yes, so uh, the concept uh, was until recently, uh, until cloud uh, boom, you can say, uh, that uh, the companies kept their logic on-prem. Uh, this means they had all managed all their servers and accessed everything uh, internally and they worked um, the majority of access to their system was uh, within the, the company and uh, directly to the local servers. So uh, they understood that uh, to buy servers and to maintain them uh, costs a lot of money and you need to replace that. Uh, re uh, frequently and uh, it will be much easier to buy managed services uh, that uh, that are uh, used directly to, to cloud uh, providers <clears throat> so uh, they moved all, all their uh, workloads and business logic uh, to run on cloud instead of uh, servers that they buy and run uh, on-premises uh, so that uh, opened new, obviously new public access uh, endpoints, uh, which uh, and, and actually the cloud offers a lot of tools uh, for uh, development and uh, scheduling workloads, which is completely different uh, than, uh, like you said, irons and the, the appliances and <clears throat> uh, real hardware. So the challenges uh, are completely different there. The companies are trying to build build up very fast. It, uh, so, if, for example, if you wanted to develop uh, your uh, your business logic uh, on on top of uh, appliances, uh, it took you a year. So now with the cloud, you have a lot of uh, ready services that you can use, and you can do it in a matter of days uh, to achieve the same uh, goal uh, as it took you a year to develop. So, so the cloud uh, is basically cloud. a bank, uh, just to, to simplify it for us, uh, the cloud is basically a bank where uh, a significant uh, uh, company or conglomerate, including, for instance, Amazon, would take and, and uh, build its own servers in significant capacity and then will basically lease out certain spaces within that server to different clients remotely? Yeah, exactly. They sell computing uh, resources, so you can buy processing resources, and you can also use uh, managed services like databases and uh, and so on without uh, being uh, need to build them yourself. So it is very quickly, and you, there are a lot of tools that you can use. 
but you you don't necessarily understand where where to put the firewall there because you cannot simply do that. So uh, the challenges are completely different there, the, there, and that's why you see the boom of startups, the cloud the security startups, especially here in Israel, uh, to address exactly these uh, problems. Uh, but uh, there, the big companies, the you you can call them uh, old-fashioned, are now moving uh, to cloud. The banking services uh, they understand the the new benefits and they're willing to take the security risk in order to achieve uh, uh, higher stability and uh, they constantly trying to use new uh, security systems that they are adopted to the cloud uh, instead of uh, the traditional firewalls. Indeed. Dr. Bombs, we don't have very much time left and I'd like to, to bring all this uh, knowledge that we just uh, acquired into practice. Uh, when we're looking at the situation, it seems like the more we advance with technology, the less safe we are, uh, even though Israel is some levels uh, beyond uh, Iranian capacity in cybersecurity. Uh, it is quite evident uh, that uh, it's also a lot more vulnerable because of its uh, infrastructure that is very reliant on this, uh, on uh, on basically firewalls in in a world that is not entirely developed, uh, as uh, Mr. Kovsel said, we're in a boom uh, period. Uh, how do you see uh, this uh, upcoming period actually uh, challenge Israel? And do you believe that, uh, from at least what you hear, that Israel will invest even more into trying to uh, protect its uh, vital assets? The, as I mentioned before, the cyber security industry is is booming because of the need. And when you have a, a country that is very developed and that uses uh, technology, technological platforms and cloud platforms, it is very much needed, both internally and also to export it. It used to be the case that uh, data security had to do with taking a hard drive and putting it in a very big safe, and therefore it was somewhat secure, at least for a backup. Now, when you need to use cloud technology because you want to share something with an engineer in India, and you want to do work fast, much in a much faster way, then you need to figure out a way to uh, secure uh, this, this entire array. When it comes to military technology, it's uh, certainly uh, even more of a challenge when it, you, you need not to disrupt uh, critical activities of infrastructure, civilians and military. And therefore, Israel will need to do that because uh, it is still, in a way, ch much cheaper, uh, at least in theory, to conduct a cyber attack than to conduct a real war. And there are certainly interests uh, by other players in the Middle East, as Iran have shown a number of times, that... Uh, the cyber arena will be uh, one of the arenas they will use. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today, so I'd like to thank Mr. Cohen and Mr. Kravtsov for joining me in today's panel. It was very enlightening uh, uh, regarding cybersecurity, as this is not my expertise personally, but I'd like also to thank you, Dr. Bones, for joining me today. And I'd like to thank also you, our viewers, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.